0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام الله عليه وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد انفتح لما أغلق انخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق من الحق وهادي إلى المستقيم وعلى آله وصحبه حق قدره ومقداره العظيم آمين uh, first and foremost, the the Ummah lost a great scholar and knower of Allah today in Sayyid al-Fatih and kittani Rahimahullah Taala, uh, who was from the famous Kittani family, Kittaniya, and um, you know one of the senior. It's a family of many, many scholars and righteous people over a number of generations. And um, Sayyid al Fatih was uh, from the senior living members of that family, and he passed away. He was known for his scholarship and his piety. Uh, May Allah have mercy on him. And uh, we extend our condolences on behalf of ourselves and behalf of the Majlis. To the entire Kitani family, and to the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ uh, on the loss of this great individual. Uh, by way of note, you know locally we have another organization called Sound Hearts. Some of you are familiar with, and the person who leads the efforts at Sound Hearts is Sayyid Ihsan, and Sayyid Ihsan is Sayyid Ihsan Al Kitani. So this was his great uncle, Rahimahullah ta'ala, and he spent time with him uh, during his years of studying in Sham. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. <coughs> we left off in our book here, Towards Sacred Activism, by Dawood Walid. And we're on the section of Spiritual Self-Care for Sacred Activism. Spiritual Self-Care for Sacred Activism. Uh, Yes, and it is also I did hear this as well That Shaykh Abdul Nasser Jenga's father Is critically ill May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Give him shifa And be with him And his family Um, No doubt A difficult Difficult trial Um, And with all those Who are ill And with all of those Who are on the front lines May Allah be with all of them I mean so we're on spiritual self-care for sacred activism, which is the last chapter of the book before the conclusion. Which means we will finish today, inshallah ta'ala, and next week we will begin a new class, which I will tell you about at the end, inshallah. So spiritual self-care for sacred activism. قَالَ الْمُؤَلِّفُ حَفِظَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ اللَّهُ 'ulumihi fid-darin The author says the following May Allah be pleased with him And uh, In this life and the next (coughs) And benefit us from his knowledge In this life and the next I don't know if I've mentioned before Or if that picture was there uh, Before But uh, The picture that's in the back Is um, Very important The one Which side is it? This side That one (laughs) <laughs> that one, picture of uh, Sheikh Mahmud Khalil mm-hmm. al-Husri an ta'ala anhu The great Qari You know, the, the Qari of the, the The Qari of the Qurra, really um, And, uh, you know, like The lead Qari of our time And he was also known for his His piety and his righteousness And I love this picture because trying to find a clearer image of it but uh I can't really Mm, I might have it here let me see if I can find it Uh, yeah it's possible it might come up here let me see hmm I don't think I see it quickly Anyways, in any case You might find the picture somehow I'm not really sure But um, The picture is really beautiful I think because it shows Sheikh al-Husri Kind of like in his full scholarly garb He's wearing his Azhar cloak He's wearing his Azhar hat Which you might see mine over there On the top shelf Um, And he's he's wearing all of that but he's sitting on the curb and pigeons are gathered all around him and he's feeding the pigeons and they're eating out of his hand so to me it, it simultaneously shows like the honor and the position of the scholar and at the same time the humility uh, that they're supposed to have because he's wearing like this beautiful clothes and then he's just sitting on the on the curb feeding these pigeons it's a beautiful picture if you can I don't want to get up and show it to you but Inshallah I'll try to find it or you can find it So I thought it was important to point that out Uh, Spiritual self-care for sacred activism Several books and a plethora of articles Have been written about the need for people to be involved In their self-care From social workers to healthcare professionals And beyond The importance of monitoring one's own well-being is viewed as a means of improving physical health and personal relationships, and helping to deal with the effects of emotional trauma from stressful conditions. Self-care, too, is important for Muslim religious leaders and laymen who are involved in activism. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, Just as getting proper amounts of sleep, developing healthy eating habits... And exercising regularly are essential to maintaining proper physical health Taking steps to improve spiritual wellness is needed for human beings Thus Muslims striving to partake in activism should develop habits that cultivate spiritual health Especially given the stressful nature of the West post 9-11 Along with the tension and drama that are a fixture within activism spaces For it is improbable that broken persons can accomplish much in helping to fix sick societies Okay, so this is important Self-explanatory, I think, and strong. Uh, one of our teachers, Hafidhullah, he used to say, "La Islam mahzumun fi nafsi." La Islam mahzumun fi nafsi, which means that the one who uh, Islam will not be given victory by the one who is defeated in themselves. You know, they they themselves are defeated, then they they think they're going to give Islam victory. Oh, they have to, you know. Uh, do what they need to do for themselves. And this is important. Below are a series of tips to assist in this much-needed process for those involved in activism. Number one, perform your five daily prayers, striving to do them at their appointed times, followed by the supererogatory prayers that are connected with them. Our primary connection to the Creator is through prayer. This is absolutely number one. Five daily prayers is absolutely number one. Number two, keep company with upright people within the faith who are striving to improve themselves. One of the greatest positive effects upon any person's spiritual state is the association, suhba, which he, she keeps. In many cases, for those in the activism world, that may mean removing oneself from socializing with certain persons outside of work or social justice actions. The Prophet ﷺ stated, solitude is better than bad company, but righteous company is better than being alone. Stay away from keeping company outside of what is absolutely necessary professionally with persons who openly transgress, act profanely, and collaborate with wrongdoers. Habib al Haddad stated, It is absolutely prohibited for a person to be in the presence of others who commit acts of evil. So keep good company. Keep good company. Doesn't have to be the people of titles. Doesn't have to be the people who are well known or whatever it might be. This is someone who, when you keep their company, uh, as we covered in the Hikam لا تصحب من لا على الله ولا ينهدك حاله Don't keep the company of one whose speech does not turn you to God And their state does not elevate you So keep, you know, this is in, like in terms of who you're trying to be around who you, The good company you want to keep Try to keep company with the people who they, uh, Their speech and their way of doing things brings you closer in your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does not mean you can't be around people who don't do that? It just means that when you're around people who don't do that, you should be clear on what you're doing. You know, I'm not around them because I'm trying to take from their character. I'm not around them because I want them to accept me in the way that I do things. Maybe I'm around them because... I'm trying to help them or I'm trying to have good manners with them. It could just be that I'm trying to have good manners with them or whatever it might be. But the person who we really try to open ourselves to take from is the person who uh, elevates us in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, take a spiritual guide or mentor. Part of breaking the ego as well as receiving sound advice is through the traditional teacher-student relationship. The self is prone to self-deception. Thus, mentorship is needed to assist in the process of rectification of the self. The person who seeks only themselves for counsel on important matters has taken a fool as an advisor. Surah Al Kaf illustrates that even the sincerest persons need spiritual guidance, as Musa, who was a prophet, required mentorship from Al Khadir before confronting Firaun. If one does not have local access to qualified guides who are known to be upright and have studied the religion from qualified teachers, find an elder in the vicinity with whom regular mentorship can take place, then arrange, if financially able, to find a qualified guide that can be met with periodically. Not meaning financially able in the sense that you will pay them. Financially able in the sense that you will travel to them. (laughs) Two very different things. Okay, it doesn't mean financially able that you will pay them. It means financially able that you will, if they don't live close to you, you try to visit them every so often. It is best to find a mentor mentor of the same gender, and if not, to ensure that both parties uphold the proper sharia guidelines regarding gender interaction. Very important as well. I think kind of self-explanatory. Um, don't aimlessly turn yourself and your life over to someone that you don't know and nobody else knows, and uh, someone that you haven't tested someone that uh, your character you're not sure of, like, don't just, don't be foolish. But if you find someone who really you feel like, you know, this person, I feel that I can really benefit from them, then try to benefit from them in ways that are appropriate and in, in, in methods that work for that particular relationship, whatever it might be. And if it's the opposite gender, then absolutely make sure that the proper Sharia guidelines are being upheld. There is no... Uh, That it is strictly a student-teacher relationship And if it becomes anything else uh, Or you suspect that it has become anything else Maybe it's from your side Maybe you suspect something from the other side Then, you know, take the necessary precautions to be safe Uh, Inshallah, one day, hopefully we'll publish What we're hoping to publish soon Some of you may have seen on... um, Imam al-Dardir and his guidance on a true sheikh and a false sheikh So we've finished most of it We're just uh, Waiting on uh, A few pieces You know uh, It's a passage from that we actually covered early on in the majlis It's a passage that we covered early on uh, On the topic And then it uh, includes a biography of the imam As well as hopefully like a reflective essay at the end, so we're waiting on getting these pieces together But inshallah, once we get them together It will be available online uh, As a PDF For free, inshallah So that is number three uh, Number four Also make dua for another project We're working on, inshallah On the um, uh, uh, Hadith Hadith for prophetic community building guidance So the idea is like A lot of the hadith that are kind of central To what we try to do at the majlis What would those be If we were to just put them like 40, 50, 60 of them What are they So alhamdulillah I've compiled about I think I'm at about 60 now And uh, You know now we have to see what to do with them Probably put like some light commentary Maybe make it a small book We'll see It's going to take some time But make dua that we can complete it inshallah Number four Get a daily litany to read and reflect upon essential, Especially at the times of Fajr and Maghrib Your spiritual guide can recommend one for you Also very very important Even if you don't have a particular spiritual guide, it's very important to do this. There's certain du'a and dhikr and Qur'an that the Prophet ﷺ used to do in the morning and the evening, and it's important to have some sort of share of that. Um, There's many different things you could do. Some of them, maybe people like who are familiar with Mass often are familiar with the ma'thurat of Imam Hassan al-Banna. That's a good one to read in the mornings and the evenings. It's largely taken actually from uh, the Wird of Sidi Ahmed Zarruq, um, who was a Shadili. Uh So that's, that's good. And then, so of course, that's taken from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It's also very similar to the Wird al-Natif of, of Imam al-Haddad. Um, which is also readily available online. And again it's just basically verses and hadith that are taken from the Sunnah. We read uh, the Word the Latif sometimes on uh, the Thursday gatherings. So that's number four. That's a really good habit. If you can do that, you know, in the morning and the evenings. Really, really good habit. If nothing else, try to learn some of the basic hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam for the morning in the evening. Like اللَّهُمَّ مَا أَمْسَى مِنْ نِعْمَةٍ أَوْ بِأَحَدٍ مِّنْ خَلْقِكِ فَمِنْكَ وَحْدَكَ la شَرِيكَ لَكَ فَلَكَ الْحَمْدُ وَلَكَ الشُّكْرُ عَلَىٰ ذَلِكَ Which means, O oh Allah, anything that I've come into the evening with from blessings or anyone in your creation, all of it is from you, you have no partner. And the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever says this in the morning, it fulfills the right of gratitude upon them for the day, and whoever says it in the evening, it fulfills the right of gratitude upon them for the evening. Or um, uh, It's another one that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam one time he left in the morning and he saw his wife making dhikr and he went out and he did some things and he came back and she was still making dhikr so he told her should I not tell you something that would suffice you from all of this time and she said yes and he said subhanAllah <laughs> He will say it three times in the morning in the evening bi min sharri ma khalaq. In the 3 3 times in the morning and the evening provides protection from any harm. la shay'un huwa Also presi- provides protection from from any harm in the morning and the evening. These are all from the hadith. Allahumma uh, anta rabbi la ilaha illa anta khalaqtani wa ana 'abduka wa ana 'ala ahdika wa wa'dika mastata'tu sayar al-istighfar. Uh, the the Sayyid of Istighfar asking forgiveness because the Prophet wasallam said that the person who says this in the evening and they die in that night, they'll be forgiven. And the person who says it in the day and they die during that day, they'll be forgiven. So this is uh, an important one. Um, they're all in all of these collections by the way. Um, if you pick up also Fortress of the Muslim, which is strictly just hadith, it's not like a collection. Fortress of the Muslim will give you Duas that the Prophet ﷺ used to make in the morning and the evening. Uh, And you can try to learn one at a time. Pick them up slowly. Uh, Ayatul Kursi, the three Quls, very important. Simple things, very important. Number five, attempt to fast at least three days out of every Islamic month outside Ramadan. It is recommended to fast the 13th, 14th, and 15th days of every Islamic month and or Mondays And or on Mondays and Thursdays besides Ramadan Fasting is a means of spiritual purification From ostentation and a school To help cultivate patience Those persons of faith who strive to be upright And join what is right Are guaranteed to face varying intensities of opposition Hence cultivating patience And reminding others to be patient Are important per the wisdom contained in Surah Al-Asr The spiritual exercise of fasting assists in this regard Absolutely it's one of the great benefits of fasting And uh, it's a good habit to have (coughs) <coughs> Interestingly, I was um I was looking at intermittent fasting stuff recently, and they were saying like different models for intermittent fasting. So one of them was 168 uh, right So you eat during eight hours and you fast during 16 hours, which is roughly like roughly the Muslim fast. I mean right now it's less actually. The Muslim fast right now is less because the days are short. But that's roughly similar. And they're talking about a wet fast versus a dry fast. But in any case you get the point. And then the other model is to do two-five. Meaning you fast two days out of the week. And you don't fast five days out of the week. (laughs) This is the other uh, model. I was like subhanAllah. Mondays and Thursdays. And then the other model was you fast one day, you don't fast one day. And this is in our tradition The Psalm of Dawood alayhi salam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Called this the, the fasting of Dawood alayhi salam, Of David, Prophet David And it is like the best fast actually To do one day, to not do one day Alternate And that more than that we shouldn't do Six. strive to be involved in some sort of structured acquisition of Islamic knowledge. If classes are not available locally that fit into one's work schedule and family responsibilities, very important, by the way, that fit into one's work schedule and family responsibilities, those things should not be neglected, uh, then at least online. My opinion is that every Muslim involved in activism should aspire to have working knowledge of basic creed, aqidah, and foundations of Islamic jurisprudence, al fiqh. Alhamdulillah we have attempted to provide this at the majlis over time And I think that we have for the most part Like since if you look at the playlist on our our YouTube page What we've done since the pandemic started actually uh, Let alone the stuff that came before Kind of like covers most of what you need to know as a basic like practicing Muslim There's one gap uh, that we need to fill which is in fiqh Which we haven't done Insha'Allah we'll do Hanifi Fiqh And insha'Allah we'll also Ustaz Fuad will do Maliki Fiqh So at least we'll have two madhabs covered Insha'Allah uh, I also studied the Hanbali school a little bit But I don't feel comfortable teaching it uh, I haven't Not at that level Seven, call upon Allah Mighty and sublime And send blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Actually we also studied the Shafi'i school But I don't feel comfortable teaching that one either but maybe we'll get someone. But at least we can in-house, we can do maniki and Hanafi. Seven, call upon Allah, mighty and sublime, and send blessings upon the Prophet sallam. regularly, especially when times of stress arise. These are means of seeking assistance and bringing calmness through times of chaos and confusion. Allah Almighty stated in the Qur'an that verily in the remembrance of Allah do hearts find tranquility. The best form of sending blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa is in the form that he taught us which is the salat ibrahimiya which is the one from salat. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidun Majid. Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidun Majid. Haka but you can just do the first half for or you can actually do both. Uh the Prophet was actually specifically asked this question. That he was, they said, we, we know how to, we, like, how do we, Ya Rasulullah, how do we do salah on you? And he told them, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad, salli ta'ala ibrahim. He gave them this prescription. So that's why he mentioned it in this way here. Number eight. These are really good advices. MashaAllah. Take periodic retreats. Just as the Prophet ﷺ went on retreats to be removed from people prior to the night of the decree, it is good to be removed from the noise of society. If one does not have the luxury of taking a retreat in, secl- a retreat in seclusion, then the minimum should be to take some time to de-do- detoxify from smartphones and social media. Make it a point from time to time to stay away from television, Facebook, Twitter, and WhatsApp groups. Much of the stress and drama that many activists are afflicted with takes place from arguments started over, social or anti-social media. Our hearts need to breathe, and cutting off unneeded imagery and controversy assist in doing such. Very clear, very important. If you are part of MSA West and you're part of the organizing team for putting on the retreat, it does not count as a retreat. Because you didn't get to retreat. You have to actually do your own retreat. And it doesn't have to be huge things. Like, I know... um, I know someone who when we were in college That individual's method for taking a retreat Was usually to pray fajr in the masjid And then go to La Jolla Cove Because we were at UC San Diego Go to La Jolla Cove and sit somewhere And just watch the ocean And make their morning dhikr And then go about their day That was their, morning, that was their retreat that they used to do every so often <coughs> Nine Nine Resist the urge to respond to every controversial event that comes on your radar, especially when feeling enraged. There is a time to speak, a time to remain silent, and the wisdom is in knowing when. When a man asked the Prophet to advise him, he responded thrice by saying, Don't be angry. Don't be angry, as in do not react with haste based upon anger. It was related that Suleiman ibn Dawood stated, This is Prophet Solomon, the son of Prophet Dawud Stated that if speech is from silver, then silence is from gold If speech is from silver, then silence is from gold Number 10 Remind yourself that the outcomes of matters are with Allah Putting forth your best effort and leaving the results to Allah Will will help cut back on much disappointment and despair Neither you nor anyone else is the ultimate determiner Of whether something manifests or not this is extremely important. We put, our, we put our trust in Allah. We do what He's asked us to do and we do our best and we turn it over to Him. And what He wills from it, He wills from it. And what it is, it is. And when the results come, the results come. We see them, we don't see them is not the point. The point is that we did what we were supposed to do. Be reminded of this reality by the narration which states that a man came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa inquiring, O Messenger of Allah, Should I tie her, the she-camel, up and trust Allah will protect her or let her free but trust in Allah? He responded, tie her up and trust in Allah. A tied-up camel could be untied by someone else or break free and run away. The rider of the camel is not necessarily spared from losing their camel just because it is restrained with rope. Hence is the lesson that the best efforts are put forth while Allah is ultimately in control of outcomes. Perfection is not the goal. The goal is to do our best and what we are supposed to do and let it be. So we try to do our best and we let it be. Sometimes it goes our way, sometimes it doesn't. Um, 11, also very important, especially now. You know, this is like a time when You ask young people what they want to do with their life And they say they want to be YouTube influencers And you just want to like Lock yourself in a closet and cry You know It's a really important Number 11 Not that there's anything wrong with making useful videos On YouTube, that's not the point The point is that's not like It's just not the way to do things
1: 11. Avoid seeking
0: notoriety. Fame can be like a drug. In fact, the love of fame, hubbul jah, is considered a spiritual disease by scholars such as An-Ghazali. In fact, even further than that, they say that hubbul riyasa, the love of being in charge, is the last thing to leave from the hearts of the salihin, the hearts from the righteous people. We cling on to it. People cling on to wanting to be in charge, wanting to be in power, Uh, having this station, this fame. uh, It's very, very dangerous. The other, you know, it's not only dangerous because of the attention that comes as a result of it. It's also dangerous because it's an inversion of the proper method. You know, the proper method is that one starts with the small things and they build up over time. And then maybe as a result of all of that, they end up in a position of more influence or authority or responsibility would be the better way to look at it um, after having done that, right? After building that foundation. Not just that they become like a leader all of a sudden. Sometimes you see this in MSAs like someone doesn't understand for whatever reason Maybe they, not to judge them Maybe they just don't get they never learned this They never understood this, they didn't, nobody taught it to them And they just want to be around the Muslims and like it's elections so they run for president But like you, like two months ago you weren't praying And now you're only praying like every so often You don't really know much about Islam but you want to be the president It's not probably a good way to do things, you know, like a a better way to do things would be to get involved and to start attending things. In general, there's a a general process. You want to be involved in something, you start attending. You get to know people. You volunteer. You help out with smaller things. As you help out with smaller things, you start to get more responsibility. You help out with bigger things. You help out with bigger things after that. You help out with bigger things after that. Eventually, you get in a position where... Now you have some understanding of what's going on and you have some background and so on and so forth, and the proper steps have been taken. Um, this is really important. So, fame inverts that oftentimes. So, people will just like skip to fame. You know, um, this is why MSA is so valuable, too, by the way. Like, one of the things that's really valuable about MSA is that you can get involved in community from the beginning and work your way up in a time of your life where you have usually less responsibilities and you can kind of like you know you can learn things that you wouldn't learn uh, that are hard to learn later on uh very hard to learn like still in the community the best like in the age of 30 35 40 the best community activists are the people that got their stripes in msas Because they went through everything. They went through the microcosm of all the drama that they're going to go through later on. But they went through it in like a different space that was easier. And and, and if you don't do that in that time, it's harder to do it later on. You can still do it, of course, but it's just harder. Try to avoid the public spotlight as much as possible and defer to others who are qualified from time to time if you find yourself in a spokesperson position or regularly in the media. Also, strive to do a regular act of charity or good deed in secret as a means of striving for pureness in intentions or motives. This is extremely important. There should be things, always, no matter what our position is, there should be things that we do by ourselves that nobody else knows about. By ourselves that nobody else knows about. Mm. There was something I read on this recently, but I can't it right now. Mm hmm. Okay. Uh, Yanni, yeah, it was roughly talking about the idea of making dua only with your heart. And that if, if one talks to Allah And makes dua only with their heart Even the angels don't witness it and You have the angels that write the deeds right? On our, on our shoulders There's the angels that write our deeds down And if we do a deed of the heart um, <coughs> Then even the angels don't witness that Which is remarkable It's only between you and Allah So it's important to make those deposits from time to time, you know? Like maybe you're being praised for something, or maybe you're being recognized for something, or maybe people are looking at you, and in your heart you just say whatever you're going to say, you know? And nobody else knows about it, only you and Allah. In your heart, silence, yeah, silence. You just, like you, you take a moment right now, everyone should do it. We'll take five seconds, 10 seconds. Do something in your heart. Nobody knows you're doing it. Nobody knows what it is. The angels don't know what it is. Allah, It has a leather. It has a sweetness It has a sweetness SubhanAllah It's hard for us I think now Some people it's hard Because we can't actually Focus long enough to do it We start to lose ourselves Start thinking about this Thinking about that Our brains have been destroyed um, But we can practice it there's a question that says because we are commanded to do good in public and in private I'm assuming it's okay to receive public recognition as long as one doesn't love it and become attached to it however if one fears love of fame getting in the way of their good works is it okay to completely stay out of the public spotlight and not take credit for anything remain anonymous and work things behind the scenes it's a good question First and foremost, it is okay to receive public recognition as you mentioned as long as it's not something that we are looking for and and that we become attached to. So we've talked about before this idea that sincerity demands from us that we don't seek to be told thank you for the things that we do. And the sharia demands from us that when people do things for us we tell them thank you. So, the situation changes based on where you're looking from. If you're on the side of the doer, you're not supposed to seek thanks. But if you are the recipient of good, then you're supposed to thank the person. And they're supposed to not seek it. Okay. Each person has their own uh, obligation, so to speak. I don't mean that in a sh- in like a halal and haram sense, but they have their own way to look at it. Uh, However, if one fears love of fame getting in the way of their good works is okay to stay completely out of the public spotlight and not take credit for anything, remain anonymous. Yes, that is okay. But, you know, hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of the work. And, um, you know, I was talking to someone about this earlier today, that the... Um, the individual is considered but when there's a conflict between the individual and the collective then the collective gets priority in this case it could be possible that a person has fear over their sincerity but that becomes such a their fear becomes um, a means for them staying out of a lot of things that because they stayed out of it the community is harmed Right, So like all of the sincere, all of the people who are concerned about their sincerity stayed out of doing what's good, so the only people that were left were the people that never even thought about whether or not they're sincere in the first place. right so this this then beca- can become an issue. Um, and the general rule is that if we're worried about our sincerity, we don't leave the good deed. We try to purify our intention, and and we keep doing it, because this can become also a trick of shaitan to get us to become so worried about whether or not what we're doing is is correct uh, in terms of intention that we stop doing it this is a little bit different because a lot of times you can still do things behind the scenes and not be known and it still gets done and if you can do that Alhamdulillah that's good, you don't need the credit right? <coughs> I hope that's clear Such was the deed, so we were talking about doing things in secret Such was the deed of Zain al-Abidin Ali ibn Hussein, Radiallahu ta'ala As narrated in Hiliyat al-Awliya by Al Subhani That he secretly left bread during the nights To 100 poor families families In Al-Medina So Zain al-Abidin is a very remarkable figure Extremely important figure Um, I don't want to risk not finishing today, but Zain al Abidin must be mentioned. Um, alayhi salam. Zain al Abidin is the son of Sayyidina Hussein. And when uh when Al and Hussein went along with the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam send them to the lands of Iraq to Kufa and then stopped outside of Kufa in Karbala and was slaughtered by the armies of uh, by the army of Yazid when they were slaughtered by the armies of Yazid then uh, Sayyidina and Abideen was sick and uh, so they when they went so he wasn't actually on the battlefield he was in the tent with the women uh, amongst whom was his aunt Sayyid Zainab the sister of al-Hassan and al-Husayn. And uh, when they came to the tent, they initially wanted to kill him as well. And she stepped in and she said, no, you can't kill him, he's sick, he's not on the battlefield, he's this and this, leave him alone. If you're going to kill him, you have to kill me too. So she had a mawqif she had. She took a stand in that. And um, uh, Sayyidina Zain al-Abideen was spared. And in doing so, the madhab of Ahl al-Bayt was spared in a sense. Like the way of Ahl al-Bayt, the way of the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which is the way of love and service, uh, that was embodied and given life by Zain al-Abideen after uh, the death of his father and his uncle, رضي الله And uh, one of the things that he was known for was that people used to consider that he was economical with his money until he died and when he died a hundred families from the families of Medina stopped finding food on their doorsteps in the morning was a hundred families from the families of Medina were finding food on their doorstep every morning they didn't know where it was coming from and then Sayyidina Zain al-Abidin passed away and the food stopped coming so they understood where it came from And when they went to wash his body, they found that on his body there were marks along his shoulders from where he would carry the sacks of flour. He would carry the sacks of flour himself on his shoulder to these homes and give them uh, this food. So that's who he is. That's what this is referring to, that he secretly left bread during the nights to 100 poor families in in Medina. Number twelve, remember death. Everything in this world will eventually come to an end, and what will stick with us entering into the day of judgment will be our faith, intentions, and deeds. Visiting graveyards is a good reminder of our own mortality. Remembering our own mortality helps to put things in perspective and is good for our spiritual well-being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states So whoever hopes for the meeting with his Lord Let him do righteous work And not associate anyone In the worship of his cherishing guardian Lord In Surah Al-Kaf The last verse of Surah Al-Kaf So this is a good section I would suggest that You know um, uh, You know like I suggested before This would make a good Kind of uh, infographic these these twelve points would make a good infographic. Or just take notes on it and keep it handy. Do those graveyards have to be Muslim graveyards? I'm not one hundred percent sure, actually. I'm I'm leaning one way, but I'm not one hundred percent sure. Um You know, the thing about Muslim graveyards is we hope them to be a place of rahmah and they're a place where we can make dua for the deceased and we can maybe read some Quran for them and stuff like that. Whereas non-Muslim graveyards, we wouldn't be able to do that. But there are inevitably still people who were believers in those graveyards. And perhaps we can take some sort of we can still take ibrah from that. We can still take a lesson from that. I don't know. Allahu a'alam. My initial leaning was that it should be a Muslim graveyard. But I don't know that I, I can recall like a particular particular text or anything that I've read that requires that. I just don't know right now. So I'm going to go with, I don't know. Can women visit graves? Yes. Um, as long as they're not, you know, going crazy, basically, which is not really part of our culture here in the West anyways. But, as, you know, like part of the culture in the East, in some places in the East, is to really, l- especially for women, to lose it at graveyards. Even some cultures, it's considered that you didn't care enough about the deceased if you don't do that. So you have to scream and yell and cry And hit yourself and tear at your clothes And stuff like that That was the culture of the Arab And the Arabs in the time of the Prophet And that's why you have some hadith revolving around this issue um, And there is ikhtilaf There is a difference between the scholars on this issue But uh, a, a strong position uh, Amongst the positions Of the scholars is that it is okay For women to do that if um, uh, To visit As long as they maintain themselves but men should maintain themselves too is it okay to cry at graveyards not in a form of grief or losing it but just upon remembering death yes absolutely okay and probably a good thing Um, you know we we should uh, our eyes should weep from the remembrance of death and our hearts should soften from that and it's okay as long as we're not wailing and Making a scene It's okay Many of the Muslim burial grounds are so far away from the city They are, yeah We can still remember death Even if we don't visit We can still pray for people We can still read Quran for them Uh, Is my understanding correct In that women aren't allowed to follow the funeral procession Okay, so there's two issues One of them is going to the graveyard at all And the second one is following the funeral procession On both of them there's difference of opinion Here locally, it's almost uh, uh, here as in uh, Orange County. It's almost uh, standard now that men and women attend funerals. It's almost like I don't think I've been to anyone in my recent memory where women weren't there uh, at the the actual burial. And again, the same rules should apply if they're going to go. Conclusion. Uh, With the name of Allah, the Merciful Benefactor, the Merciful Redeemer. (coughs) If you have other questions, feel free to ask them. I'm just going to finish the conclusion first. The praise and thanks belong to Allah, the first before any created existence and life, and the last after the annihilation of everything. He that does not forget whoever remembers him, he that does not forget whoever remembers him, does not decrease whoever is grateful to him, does not thwart whoever calls upon him, and does not cut off hope for whoever... Hope resides in him. O Allah, send prayers, peace, and blessings upon our beloved Muhammad and his family just as you sent prayers, peace, and blessings upon Ibrahim and his family and what follows. In a nutshell, towards sacred activism is a call towards working to enhance the good in our societies and to interrupt injustice based upon the Quran and prophetic ethics. The implementation of this, as I attempted to articulate in this book, is based upon striving to do so for the pleasure of Allah over any others, which requires a commitment to spiritual purification as well as a fundamental level of religious literacy. Within our differences, there definitely needs to be a bridging of the gap between Islamic scholars and activists. There should be more religious leaders who are in tune with grassroots social justice activism, just as there should be more activists who have some background in the traditional Islamic sciences. Yet, the reality on the ground is that these two groups are not in regular conversation with each other. My book attempted to factor in the sensitivities of both of these groups, given that I have served as an imam in the community going on 20 years while having been involved in civil rights advocacy for over a decade. Hopefully, this book will assist in the process of increasing mutual outreach between religious leaders and activists alike, instead of the all too frequent finger pointing about who is misguided or out of touch. Dr. Sherman Abdul Hakim Jackson of the University of Southern California once stated that you don't condemn a Munkar wrong in a way that breeds a greater Munkar. Within our differing opinions about community issues, including how we advance social justice, we all all must be more diligent to not cause more harm among ourselves over issues that are not exactly as clear-cut as we think them to be all of the time. Though we will passionately disagree among ourselves, not just with those outside of our community, we have to be careful not to allow these differences of opinion to lead to our implosion. Moreover, we cannot afford to be a community which drowns in internal malice, call-out culture, and defamation. At the risk of sounding cliche, we must model the change that we desire to see in the broader society within ourselves. Allah, mighty and sublime, makes this crystal clear when He states, Surely Allah does not change what is with a people until they change what is in their own souls. The differences in how we seek justice should be moderated with an inclination toward pardoning each other, For being just and pardoning are at the head of being regardful of Allah. Only those with love and God consciousness embedded in their hearts will be able to bring about long term structural changes that can erode systems of injustice until perfect justice is given by Allah in the latter life. So they're slowly but surely trying to do better. Um, We praise you, O Allah and send the best prayers and most perfect peace upon our master Muhammad, his purified family and rightly guided companions. We ask you, O Allah, to purify our hearts, grant us beneficial knowledge and make us among the people of certitude. O one who is beautiful and Jamil and creates beauty, make us be among those who possess spiritual beauty. Our master, you are the strong, we are the weak, and is there any mercy for the weak except from the strong? O living, O self-sustaining, so, self-subsisting, ya hayyu ya qayyum Through your mercy we seek your assistance May prayers, blessings, mercy, kindness and peace be upon Prophet Muhammad and his family Just as these were sent upon Ibrahim and his family And please pardon me ala sayyidina wa maulana wa habibina wa Sayyidina al-Mustafa Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa to Amin Alhamdulillah All praises due to Allah By whose blessing uh, any good is accomplished Yes Are women allowed to be at the graveyard site When the person is lowered into the ground as well My family member refused to watch her mother be buried because she thought it was haram for her. Just wanted to get further insight. May Allah reward you. And may Allah reward you. So there are... uh, uh, Can women attend a burial Islam fatwa? Let's see what we can find. Can women attend the burial of the deceased? I'll walk you through how I read these. So this one is Muslim Matters And it's a short survey on what leading scholars And the four schools of law, madhabs have to say on the issue This was written by Dr. Usama Al-Azmi Who is in the UK He's a good uh, researcher, mashallah. He says, this is not a fatwa, it's a brief outline of what people have said Key positions Three general positions One, a clear majority of scholars indicate that women are permitted to attend the burial of the deceased, but it is generally discouraged. Two, some scholars permitted elderly women's attendance of the burial unconditionally. Three, others prohibited all women's attendance unconditionally. So you have three um, possibilities here. I'm going to paste this one. Seems like it's good. Generally speaking, uh, you know, generally speaking... Dr. Osama Al-Azmi's work is pretty good uh, So that's one um, Let me see if there's if, ta- if we can find one of these easily <coughs> mm. So attending a non Muslim. Uh, people are kind of critical of Dar al Ifta in Egypt because of some of the positions that different people have taken from it. However, generally speaking, their fatawa are good. Generally speaking. There's some exceptions, but generally speaking they're good. If it has to do with something that's kind of political or relates to extremism or like revolutions or stuff like that, Yani. Preferably take your fatwa from somewhere where freedom of speech is allowed. But if it's, you know, a regular everyday type thing Then, uh, you know, don't th- Their fatwas are actually pretty good Although I don't see one from there really quickly Islamweb is a mixed bag Oftentimes it's quite good Different depths of the ground, no Okay, it's not the question mm. This one is interesting This is the one that I used to have We used to have this reposted on our website Imam Nuqman Ahmed, he's an older African-American imam. He does like an analysis of the Maliki school's position on it. Which basically concludes that you can go. Um, Khan.com I don't know if he has his own website. Hmm. Let's see. Women attending the janazah burial and visiting the graveyard. Oh, he references the article I just posted You can put this, this is cool Nihal Khan, Sheikh Nihal Khan Is uh, on the east coast He's done some chaplaincy training But he also finished his Islamic studies At Nadwatul Ulama in India um, So He puts, this is a pretty long article Hanafi school, Ma- Maliki school Shafi'i school Qadiyyaz uh, uh, Scholars of Medina Considered it generally permissible Imam Malik Considered it permissible But considered it Disliked for younger women So you know Hanbali school Ibn Limun there Conclusion Pretty good Mashallah. So much good stuff out there Problem is There's so much bad stuff out there <laughs> So You kind of have to be able To tell the difference Between what's what um, That's that's the problem But this is good Nihal is good Mashallah. Um, generally had good interactions with him let's see who else is here I think that's sufficient for now well I think those three should be sufficient inshallah I have a question pertaining to the point on good company someone said I have a question pertaining to the point On good company What if you are at a point where you are struggling more than usual Spiritually, emotionally, etc The benefits of good company are more profound than ever But you don't want to burden the good company with your struggles, troubles, negativity How do you uphold that good company while remaining just to them? Uh, That's a really good and interesting question I think that um, good company can take different forms. um, And even can take different modes depending on what's going on. So what do I mean by that? Sometimes um, we benefit from the good company without actively dealing with any of the issues that we're going through. All right. Like we might have any number of things that we're going through internally. And, but when we're in the company of whoever it might be, we're not actually actively dealing with those things. We're just in their company, whatever it, whatever it is. It's harder, obviously, now. Right. It's really much harder now. You know, it used to be you can go to an event, you can go to a program, you're in good company. You can passively be in good company and just benefit from that. And that's really, really important, actually. Now it's like you sign on to the Zoom call, and it was cool for like the first month or two, but nine months in, nine, eight, ten months later, you're kind of like, all right, this is old now. <laughs> like, we literally, it's been ten months that we've been doing Zoom. It's crazy. So, it doesn't really feel the same way maybe as it did before and you long for people's company. I know I do. Um, so, it's harder to do. The other times it can be in good company is when we're in someone's good company actively trying to deal with a particular thing. Right? Um, so we have to be conscious of those two things so for example if I go to something if I go to like a general gathering with someone that I consider to be good company I'm not going to like pull them to the side and dump all my issues on them in the middle of that gathering because it's not the time for that it's the time for me to just sit there with them and like maybe do the or listen to a class or whatever else it might be but if it's a more one-on-one type environment where I can engage with them in that way, then I'm going to engage with them in that way. Uh, So that would be my first reflection. My second reflection would be specifically as it relates to... um, this one's a little bit tricky. I'm going to say it, but just hang with me on it for a second. When it comes to like religious teachers and stuff and not wanting to, to burden them, it's true. Like it's it's a very strange thing. We don't want to burden them. And at the same time, the reason why they're there is for us. And if and if that's not the case, then they're not a religious teacher, regardless of whatever titles they have. Like their true meaning and 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 the thing that gets them to tick is to help people, and to be there for people. And uh, now we don't want to overburden them. We don't want to like send them messages twenty times a day, or even every single day. We don't want to always be telling them like I really need to spend time with you. I really need to talk to you. And then when they talk to you, when you talk to them, you talk to them for two hours, and you don't even get to the point. You don't want to do that kind of stuff. You know, you want to be kind of like, okay, get to my point, ask what it is I want to ask, deal with it, whatever it is I need to deal with, and spend some time with them, and know that that's okay. Um, especially, some people have like set times that they devote to the people, and we shouldn't feel shy in taking those times. Um, that's what they're there for and we should reach out to them Mm. but yeah I mean especially now it's kind of tough but I think both sides are there and uh, when something doesn't need one on one attention I don't think we should also under normal circumstances COVID is, uh, is different now because we can't gather but if something doesn't need one on one attention we shouldn't always seek one on one attention Like, there was a period where everyone was like, we want to have a halaqa with you. We want to do this with you. We want to do that with you. And they were like, well, we have public stuff. Like You're totally welcome to come to it. You don't need something special. Malish, I'm sorry to break it to you. Like, there is a public gathering. Just come to the public gathering. You don't need your own special thing. Like, we'll all be together. We'll learn together. It'll be good. But if you need something specific, then, you know, you look for that specific time in order to get it. Um... I'm always, always come back to this beautiful passage in the book Signs on the Horizons or Horizon, I can't remember Horizon maybe, Signs on the Horizon uh, by Michael Sugich who we, uh, you know, hosted at the Medjlis one time um, It's a little bit heavy of a book so take your time with it For me it changed my life because these were like immediate modern stories about stuff that you would read in the past but there's a passage in there about Habib Ahmed Mashour al-Haddad and uh, one of the conversations that the author, Harun, had with one of his teachers about Habib Ahmed Mashour al-Haddad. So they were going to his gathering and in his majlis people you know, wait to bring to him whatever issue they have. So, you know, whatever issue it is they wait and the sheikh is going to listen to people's issues one after the other and um, sometimes they're really mundane things like someone's ex- complaining to the sheikh that they're having a hard time finding an apartment to rent and he's listening and giving some advice making dua for them this and, and the author is saying and i told my teacher you know i i don't know how people like him have patience over the in these interactions with people like me you know, and and his teacher told him along the lines of, "Those interactions are the only reason why he's here. Otherwise, he'd rather be with his Lord." <laughs> Those interactions, like he's only here to serve you. Otherwise, he'd rather be with Allah. So don't like take that from the person too. You know, sometimes like we we. Uh, we're so worried about being a burden on on people when they actually want to be there. Um, They might not always have, you know, like capacity to do that in the way that we exactly want them to do. But they want to be there and they want to be connected. And um, that's what they, you know. So uh, each person's nature is different. Some people, they really do reach out too much. And they have to recognize that about themselves and they need to step back a little bit. Some people, they ha- they're they very shy and they don't like to reach out and they feel uncomfortable to do so and so on and so forth. And sometimes they need to reach out a little bit more. For example, between my wife and I, she usually reaches out to people more And I usually reach out to them less Alhamdulillah for her She maintains our relationship with so many wonderful people <laughs> Because it was up to me I would just neglect it Like I was thinking about some, one of the shiyukh That I have to ask him for something And I was thinking to myself like SubhanAllah I haven't messaged him anything in a really long time Like a long time You know maybe a year Which is totally unacceptable But I know that my wife She sends him a picture every single week of like the kids and ask for d- ask for du'a for them, and you know tells them Juma Mubarak and stuff like Mubarak and stuff like that, and like so she maintains the relationship. <laughs> <Alhamdulillah>. <laughs> she doesn't do too much, but I'm saying like people are different, so sometimes we have to know ourselves, and maybe we need to push ourselves more, or maybe we need to pull pull back. That was a really long, winded answer to that question, but I hope that it helped a little bit because it's an important question. Uh, we need one another we need one another we definitely realize that now more than ever we really need one another Uh, that the believer to the believer is like the the bricks of a building they support one another Uh, they're like the bricks of a building they support one another so this is really really important that's in the collection of hadith for the majlis majlis hadith collection uh, Allahu a'lam. Khair If there's no other questions um, Barakallahu fikum Inshallah next week We will begin